Glory to Jesus Christ and welcome to the Athens and Jerusalem podcast brought to you by Theosis Academy, the Oriental Illumin Foundation. In this podcast, we'll feature weekly lectures from the late great metropolitan Callistos of Diaclea. So please be sure to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Now, today's recording is a lecture from Metropolitan Callistos Ware titled The Jesus Prayer for Every Day. If you enjoyed the lecture, you can get unlimited access to complete courses from Metropolitan Callistos online at theosisacademy.org. Now for Metropolitan Callistos of Diaclea. By way of prologue, what I want to say this afternoon concerning the Jesus prayer, then we set before you, as in an icon, a decisive moment from the Old Testament. Moses at the burning bush. The incident recorded in Exodus chapter 3. As Moses stands in the desert before the bush that burns but is not consumed, God says to him two things. And he says these same two things to you and to me and to everyone who seeks to enter into the mystery of living prayer. First, God says to Moses, take off your shoes. On the interpretation of the Greek fathers, for example, St. Gregory of Nyssa, shoes made from the skins of dead animals signified the deadness of repetition, water, inattentive. Take off your shoes, then, dreams. Free yourself from what is lifeless, from enslavement to the trivial, the mechanical, the repetitive. Shake off the deadness of boredom. Wake up. Come to yourself, open your spiritual eyes, cleanse the doors of your perception, look and see. This. Now there is a special term in Orthodox ascetic and mystical theology for this inner experience of waking up. It is the term meepsis. N-E-P-S-I-S. Reading, sobriety, watchful, alert. Our problem is not primarily that we are deliberately malicious, although most of us are some of the time. The problem is that we are bored. And so we grow fragmented and disperse. We use only a very small part of our spiritual resources. We run in low gear. We live our life with only five or ten percent of our full potential. We are not truly present 
where we are, gathered in the here and now. What happens next? After we have removed our shoulders. This brings us to God's uh, second word to Moses. The place on which you are standing is holy ground. What do we experience in ordinary life when we take off our shoes and begin to walk barefoot? We suddenly become sensitive in a good understanding of that word. We become ponderable in a positive way. The earth under our bare free comes alive. We feel the grains of dust between beneath our souls. We feel the texture of the cross. So it is that spiritually, removing our shoes, freeing ourselves from inner deadness, we begin to realize that the world around us is holy. We renew our sense of awe and wonder. We feel the immediate presence of the divine. Each thing, each person, becomes a sacrament of the divine presence, a means of communion with God. Now we can apply all this to our prayer. To pray is to stand like Moses before the burning bush, to take off our shoes, to strip ourselves of deadness, to awaken, to experience all things as fresh and new to recognize that we are standing on holy ground. So know that God is immediately present before us and within us. Now, at this point, some of you may well be prompted to ask, how? I recall a story told of that great literary figure in Victorian England, Thomas Carlyle. One day, he came back from the Sunday morning service in a bad temper, and he said to his mother, I cannot think why they preach such long sermons. If I were a minister, I would go up into the pulpit and say no more than this. Good people, you know what you ought to do. Now go and do it. <laughs> I, Thomas, his mother said, and uh, would you tell them how? He so how he can you and I acquire this living prayer, prayer not just in words, 
but inner prayer, prayer of the deep self, prayer of the heart. Now the answer offered in the Orthodox tradition is above all to say, use the Jesus prayer. Use the short invocation, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. The Greek, I'm afraid I can't do it in Romania. <laughs> of course, there are many variants to the Jesus prayer. You can say, have mercy on me, the sinner, making it more a penitential prayer. Or you can say, bringing in others, have mercy on us. That's the fault that I myself use. Now, the Jesus prayer is a way in. A prayer that can enable us to take off our shoes, to wake up, to realize that we're standing on a holy crown, to be gathered in God's presence here and now at this steady moment. Notice that I say it is any way in. Not the only way. Prayer is personal. It's a person-to-person conversation, a dialogue between one specific subject, me, and another specific subject, the Holy Trinity. Now, persons are inexhaustibly varied. Each of us is unique. Each of us is unrepeatable. In each of us, there is a special secret, a particular treasure hidden deep in us, not to be found in anyone else. That is why in the book of Revelation, the last book in the Bible, in chapter 2, it is said that in the age to come, to each of the redeemed, there will be given a white stone, and on the white stone will be written a new name that nobody knows except the one who receives it. Actually, when I was a child, I had a dream in which I was told what my new name was going to be in the age to come. But I'm not going to tell you. It's not him. <laughs> <laughs> in one of my favorite books by the Jewish author Martin Buber, The Tales of the Hasidim, there is a story recounted of Rabbi Zusia. Rabbi Zusia said, At the last judgment, I shall not be asked 
Why were you not Abraham? Why were you not Moses? I shall be asked, why were you not Zosia? That's what we shall each be asked in the last judgment. Why were you not Canalistos? Why were you not Jack? Why didn't I become the unique person that God saw in his mind from all eternity? Why didn't I become my true self? Now, since persons are inexhaustibly varied, and since prayer is personal, it follows that the ways of prayer are also varied. There is no single form of inner prayer that is, without exception, appropriate for everyone, everywhere, and always. Each, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, under the guidance of our spiritual father or spiritual mother, each has to find his or her own way of praying. We should always allow for creator in prayer. As St. Barcelophius of Gaza said, as a father of the early 6th century, I do not want you to be under the law, but under grace. So we should not say of the Jesus prayer, it is the only way. Nor even should we say it is the best way. I would say really, it has helped many. It has helped me. It may helps you. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on us. The center and heart of the Jesus prayer is the holy name Jesus itself. The name given to the Son of God at his human birth in Bethlehem by Mary, his virgin mother, and by his foster father, Jews. It is a name that means Savior. As the angel says to Joseph in the first chapter of Matthew, you are to name him Jesus for he will save his people from their sin. Now, in the Old Testament, the divine name of God, the tetragrammaton, the four letters of God's name, was felt as a source of grace and power. Indeed, in Judaism, such is the reverence for the holy name that it is not to be said aloud. And this reverence for the name is continued in the New Testament. Rule with the holy name of Jesus, 
devils are cast out, miracles are brought to pass. As is said in the text of the second century, the shepherd of Hermas, a name of the Son of God is great and barbarous, and it upholds the whole world. So, for us Orthodox, the Jesus prayer, containing as it does this great and boundless holy name, is helped to transmit to us the grace and power of Jesus the Saviour himself. Now, of course, the holy name is not a magic talisman. Nothing, or very little, is gazed from a purely mechanical, thoughtless repetition of the name. But if the name of Jesus is invoked with faith and love, then it has sacramental value. It is the holy name is an outward and visible sign of an inward and spiritual grace. Now, I'm sure very many of you use the name of Jesus, use the Jesus crowd regularly. And so you will be aware that there are two ways in which the Jesus prayer can be employed. That is, first of all, the pre-use. We can say the Jesus prayer once or several times. As we go about our regular daily tasks, during all the passing moments of the day that might otherwise be wasted. The phrase. And then there is what we may call the fixed use, where we make the Jesus prayer part of our regular prayer time, where the in conditions of external quiet we seek solely to pray without being engaged in any other activity. You can use the free form of the Jesus prayer without necessarily making it part of your set prayer time of your normal morning and evening prayers. So the free use can go without the fixed use, though normally they do go together. The aim of the free use of the Jesus prayer can be summed up in the phrase, find Christ everywhere. And the aim of the fixed use of the Jesus prayer can be summed up in the words, create silence. So let's look at these two ways of employing the Jesus prayer in our daily lives. There are many occasions for the 
pre-used. Perhaps we may say the prayer lasting at night before we go to sleep. There's somebody said to me the other day that he found the Jesus prayer so exciting that if he said it before he went to sleep, he wouldn't go to sleep at all. So if you, it depends how you are. <laughs> Certainly we can say the Jesus prayer first thing in the morning when we wake up. We can say it when dressing, tidying and cleaning our room, washing up. A time very suitable for the Jesus prayer is when walking from place to place. I don't drive a car, so I like to say the Jesus prayer when I'm waiting for the bus in Oxford. And I might say that the Oxford bus system leaves many opportunities to prove. <laughs> <laughs> if you drive a car, well, you can say the Jesus prayer when you're sitting in a traffic jam. And I think the city of Washington and the district around it leaves also many opportunities for prayer with its traffic system. I find the Jesus prayer very useful in Committee meeting. <laughs> also, we're talking with others when can't so on. It will sometimes happen that when you talk with another, somehow the conversation doesn't break through to the point of meeting. Either of you seems able to say what is really on your heart. On such an occasion, I have found it helpful to say the Jesus prayer two or three times silently in my heart. And I know from experience that this can transform the conversation, can raise it to a new and creative level. The Jesus prayer is certainly suited for times of physical and mental pain, moments of tension, when other more complex ways of praying wouldn't be possible. And it's very good at moments of temptation, when, for example, you sense feelings of anger rising within you. And that happens, we need to act quickly. And that's where the Jesus prayer comes in. It is simple, direct, flexible, and resilient. Instantly available. It requires no particular knowledge. It requires no special preparation. We can simply begin with the prayer. It's a prayer for all seasons. A prayer especially appropriate for our present age of anxiety. But in fact, I suspect 
than Jesus Christ we use today by more people than ever before. I might be a bit surprised by that, because we are accustomed to think of our age as an age of secularism, an age of apostasy. But in fact, in the past, the Jesus prayer in the orthodoxy was used only in certain monasteries and by lay people who belong to the circle of those monasteries. Now it's being used very widely by the orthodox laity and not only by orthodox, but by any non-orthodox as well. So not just an age of secularism. Now, the rationale of this reuse of the Jesus prayer is this. It unites prayer time and work time. It turns our work into prayer. It makes the secular sacred. It brings Christ into everything that we do. It enables us to find Christ everywhere. I think here of the poem by the English writer, the 17th century George Herbert, poem The Elixir, which in childhood I used to sing as a hymn. Teach me, my God and King, in all things thee to see, and what I do in anything, to do it as for thee. If all things thee to see. That's the purpose of the Jesus Prayer. In the words of Father Alexander Schmemann, the end of his wonderful book, For the Life of the World, a Christian is the one who, wherever he or she looks, sees everywhere Christ and rejoices in the gift. There is an unwritten saying of our Lord that illustrates this. A saying not to be found in the canonical Gospels, but which circulated among the Christians in the early times. Lift the stove and you will find me. Cut the wood in two and there am I. Now, St. Paul says, 1 Thessalonians 5.17, Pray without ceasing. I don't think the apostle meant say prayers all the time. This is scarcely possible. We've got to sleep sometimes. Though actually, if you say that Jesus prayer frequently, you may find yourself saying it in your dreams while you are asleep. But 
I don't think it is desirable to save Rouse all the time. I doubt if that was the intent. Also, for some call. When we are engaged on a particularly difficult task that demands our total attention, it is perhaps not wise to try and break off and keep saying prayers. For example, suppose you are a surgeon performing a highly delicate operation where it is a matter of life and death, where the smallest error will be fatal. Would it be wise for the surgeon, as he was busy with the operation, groping away, suddenly to keep stopping, say, Lord Jesus Christ, son and God, we should go quickly, we think, the Lord Jesus, you're right, Francis. Surely it will be better for him to concentrate <laughs> his entire attention on the task that he is performing. But, very possibly, the surgeon might wish to say the Jesus prayer before he begins the operation. And then he might sign. Such is the effect of the Jesus prayer. We use it frequently. But even while he was totally gathered in the task of the operation, yet nonetheless, on a deep level of himself, the spirit of prayer would continue. It's not a good thing to try and do two things at once. Probably you will do neither of them very well. St. James in his epistle says, don't be double-minded in it. The other day when I was sitting in the dentist's, thinking about what was going to happen shortly, uh, I picked up a magazine I don't usually study, the Reader's Digest, and it, I just said, I opened it and I found there a very useful apothegma, which said the people who get things done are the people who do one thing at a time. And I thought, how very true. And then I thought, how difficult to do one thing at a time, be totally gathered in one immediate task, is not easy, it requires a high level of sanctity, evil. So yes, do one thing at a time, but don't try then to say the Jesus prayer if you are writing a particularly difficult letter to your lawyer, for in that day, to your lodger who hasn't paid the rent. And yes, think totally about what you are doing. But the spirit of prayer may nonetheless continue without dividing you, without making you double-minded. The frequent use of the Jesus prayer then will flow over into the times when we are not actually saying the prayer. St. Gregory of Nyssa says, prayer is a sense of presence. And 
it is possible to have a continual sense of presence. That is what I think St. Paul meant by pray without ceasing. Not say prayers continue, continually, but preserve deep within yourself an unceasing awareness of God. Now, I've been speaking of the free use of the Jesus Prayer. Let me now say a few words about the fixed use, as I have termed it. Normally, the Jesus Prayer is said alone, not in wilderness. In monasteries, the appointed time for the Jesus Prayer is after the last service of the day, Compline, Podicere, in your cell before you go to sleep. And also early in the morning before the first service of the day, before the midnight office, again alone in your cell. But there are some places where the Jesus prayer is said not alone, but in groups. For example, the Orthodox Monastery in Britain of St. John the Baptist at Trollis of Knights in Essex, founded by Father Sophrodi, the disciple of St. Silwarm. There, during the weekdays, they recite the Jesus prayer together in church, two hours in the morning, two hours in the evening. I thought when I first went to stay there, two hours, see, this is going to be a long time. How will it pass? But when I actually was with them saying the Jesus prayer, I was amazed how quickly the time went. And when the Lord came for the prayer to end, I thought we've only been here for 20 minutes, but no, it was two hours. And the monastery, they don't all say it aloud together, which is not a good idea. If you all say it together, it will get louder and louder, and you won't have the spirit of Hesychia, of still. <laughs> the one person says the prayer a hundred times aloud, and the rest follow in their hearts. And I know of several parishes that have sessions of Jesus' prayer in that way, and clearly it does help many people. But normally, Yes, the Jesus prayer is a prayer said alone. It is said seated. The Byzantine sources suggest that you should sit on a low stool about 10 inches high in a crouching position. If you try that, you'll find very soon it becomes acutely uncomfortable. <laughs> So I would advise people who are starting the Jesus Braille to sit on an ordinary chair with a back, upright, without your legs crossed, of course, because we're going to crave the legs crossed. 
But in a position where your body is comfortable and you're not particularly conscious of it, the prayer would normally be said, not chanted, not necessarily said outwardly with your voice, but it would still be articulated distinctly inwardly. And the speed can vary. Each person can find the speed that suits them best. I would say it somewhat as follows. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on us. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on us. The Greeks often say it quicker than that. And the Russians often say it's slow. So you will find your own rhythm. Usually the Jesus prayer is said with the eyes closed. Right. Aha, you will say. We may foresee an obvious consequence. <laughs> we will certainly drop off to sleep. If you find yourself getting sleepy, stand up. Make the sign of the cross. Make a prostration after each prayer. Forehead down to the ground, standing up again. When you will do that ten or twenty times, that may help to wake you up. We think that, Annie. Western sleeping has always been a problem for me, not just in the afternoons. As now, most of you are doing quite well. Um, <laughs> but... I fall asleep in all situations. Once I was unwise enough to be giving a talk sitting down, and I fell asleep in my own talk. <laughs> I could hear a voice droning on. And suddenly I realized with a shock it was my own voice. And I had no idea what to say. I defeat. No. So, yes, I see people with their eyes closed when I'm talking. I think, well, they're praying. <laughs> you can link the Jesus prayer with the rhythm of the breathing. There are special techniques for doing this, but we are recommended not really to try the breathing techniques unless we have personal guidance from an experienced spiritual father. The books don't describe the breathing techniques in any great detail. Though if you look at volume four of the English Philokalian, you will find a certain amount of material about that. The breathing, however, is a highly delicate thing and if you will interfere with it, you may have startling consequences. So be careful. A friend of mine who was using the breathing technique under guidance from a spiritual father found one day that he had forgotten how to breathe. He did not know how he was going to take the next breath. 
and he felt a moment of total panic. I shall be suffocated. Then to his immense relief, he found that he could breathe again. But he stopped using the breathing exercises after that. So they come with the health warbies. <laughs> but without any danger of ulterior consequences, you can use to help you with the Jesus prayer, a prayer rope. What the Greeks call Convoskilion, what the Russians call Vervilsa or Chotsky. It's the Orthodox equivalent to the Roman Catholic Rosary, but it's used not for prayer to the <coughs> Mother of God, but for prayer to Jesus. It can be made of beads, but it's more commonly made of knotted wool or cord. So it is silent in use. Though this is by normal prayer rope, it has a hundred knots on it, and you will say one Jesus prayer on each knot. But I have a rather smaller prayer rope for use of committee meetings. <laughs> <laughs> The purpose of the prayer rope is not to measure the number of times of saying the Jesus prayer, because mere quantity doesn't have any special significance. But if you give your hands something to do while you are praying, it's a fact of experience that this will help you to maintain a regular rhythm spread so that it flow gently and easily. And it will prevent you from fit. You. Yes, the Jesus prayer should be said gently. Of course, with attention, but not with excessive strained emphasis. Don't say Lord, it is If you pray like that, you will very soon get tired. But just let the prayer flow gently. The spiritual teachers tell us, let it be like a gently flowing stream. The Greek and Slavonic, the Jesus prayer has a distinct rhythm. Less obviously so in English. But the aim is, let it flow gently. To those who are not so familiar with the Jesus prayer, I suggest that initially it's quite sufficient to say it 10 or 15 minutes at a time. Don't block it in. As you grow accustomed to it, you can the choose to say it at greater length. Incidentally, while I'm on the subject of the prayer room, this should be carefully distinguished from worry beads, what you see the Greeks playing with as they sit around. 
the name for worry beads in Greek is konvoslogion, and the name for a prayer rope is konvoskidion. A friend of mine, a rather idealistic English convert to orthodoxy, went for the first time to Greece, and he returned with great enthusiasm, not understanding the difference between a prayer rope and worry bead skipping. Greece, he said, the wonderful country. The people are so spiritual. Why the men are sitting in cafes, smoking, drinking also, playing cards, but all the time they'll save the Jesus. <laughs> Now, the inner game of the Jesus crowd, as I've said, is to create silence. In the words of Soren Kierkegaard, if I were a doctor and were asked for my advice, I should reply, create silence. Surely our contemporary world this greatly in need of such a doctor. The Roman Catholic spiritual guide, Baron Friedrich von Hubel, said, Man is what he does with his silence. Silence is an essential component in our human personhood. Without silence, we are not genuinely you. That the Jesus prayer precisely is a way of entry into silence, into a inner stillness, silence of the far. But what do we mean by silence? Is it merely something outward, an absence of noise? Is it basically negative? a pause between words. Or is true silence rather something here with a positive? Not an absence, but a presence. Not a void, an emptiness, but fullness. Surely, in the deep and true sense, silence is awareness of another. Silence is a precipice. At the heart of it is God. As it says in the Psalms, Be still and know that I am God. The psalmist doesn't just say, Be still. But he says, Know that God is here. Stillness, silence, is God of awareness. So true silence, understood in this positive sense, signifies not isolation, but relationship. Silence means receptivity, openness, encounter. Silence goes hand in hand with love. It is a losing and finding of oneself in the other through love. Silence is being with in an alert, attentive manner. Take off your suit. 
Silence is listening, waiting on God, simple gazing. In many Byzantine churches, when you look up at the apse at the east end, you will see in the hemisphere a figure of the Mother of God with her hands raised towards heaven in prayer, waiting on the Holy Spirit. The Mother of God wore out, or in Greek, Glagitera. And that expresses exactly the attitude that we are hoping to acquire from the Jesus prayer. Waiting on God, listening, simple gazing. When I was about 10 years old, I listened to a sermon about prayer in the village church where we went. And the preacher told a story about the old man who every day would spend a long time in church. What are you doing there? His friends asked him. And he replied, I'm a praying. Praying, they said. You must have a great many things to ask God for. Then with some old for feeling, the old man replied, I'm not asking God for anything. Well, they said, what are you doing then? And he replied, I sit and look at God, and God sits and looks at me. When I was ten years old, I thought that was a very good description of prayer. And I still think so now. <coughs> so the Jesus prayer, understood in this way, is a prayer in words. But because the words are very simple, it's a prayer that leads to silence. It is supremely a prayer of listening and a prayer of simple gazing, a contemplative prayer. Now, a difficulty that we, all of us, encounter when praying is, how can I stop talking and start to listen? When I was a student many years ago, my favorite radio program was The Goon Show. It's my comedy show with a particularly the surreal and dotty sense of humor for me. I don't suppose many of you will remember the Lord Bishopney, but I do. <laughs> and I remember one occasion when the telephone goes and one of the characters, Harry Seacob, lifts the receiver and he says, Hello, hello, who's speaking? I can't hear you. Hello, who's speaking? And the voice the other end says, You are speaking. <laughs> and he says, I thought the voice sounded familiar. <laughs> and he puts the receiver down. <laughs> now, might that not be taken as the parable of what? All too often we experience when we pray. We hear the sound of our own voice. 
What is much more difficult for us is to hear the wordless voice at the other end of the spiritual telephone wire. Now, the Jesus crowd is one possible way, as I said, not the only way, to listen, to hear this voice at the other end of the telephone wire, the eating telephone wires, to stop talking and to start listening. It's all much used to say to ourselves, stop thinking. You can't turn off the endless sequence of images and thoughts just by a simple effort of will. You can't turn off the inner television set just by pressing a button. But what you can do is to give to your ever active mind a task that is very simple, a task that will fulfill its need for activity, a task of a prayer in words, but in and through the very simple repeated words of the Jesus prayer, you will find the way into silence. We speak, but at the same time, we listen. Now, before ending, let's consider an objection often made against the Jesus prayer and against other forms of contemplative prayer. We live in a world of anguish and suffering, a world of hunger, poverty, wars there, a world full of refugees, a world full of lonely people. What about our social responsibility? What about our concern for the suffering of those around us? Are we not turning our backs on this when we pray in solitude with our eyes closed, repeating the words, have mercy on me? Isn't this somehow selfie, inward-looking, world-denying? Let me answer with two short sentences. The first is from that great saint of 19th century Russia, Seraphim of Sorrow. Acquire inner peace, and thousands around you will find salvation. Acquire inner peace, thousands around you will find salvation. And my second word is from the one time uh, the Secretary of the United Nations, Derek Hammerskill, in his remarkable book of meditations called the Marquis. He says, understand through the stillness, act out of the stillness, conquer in the stillness. Understand through the stillness, act out of the stillness, conquer in the stillness. Now the aim of the Jesus prayer exactly is to acquire inner peace. 
But this is not selfish, for it makes us, by God's grace and mercy, an instrument of peace to others. Because we have prayed alone, as our Lord says in the Sermon on the Mount, with the door shut in secret, it may be for no more than 10 or 15 minutes each day. Then to have all the other minutes and hours of the day, we shall be available to others, open to their concerns, largely, rice-like, in a way that would otherwise be impossible. Then, secondly, the aim of the Jesus prayer is exactly to help us to understand in the stillness so that we can then act out of the stillness. St. Ignatius of Antioch, early in the second century, uses the striking phrase, Jesus Christ, the Word that came out of stillness. Because Christ's words came out of stillness, because Christ's actions came out of stillness, they were words of fire and healing, they were acts of power and transfiguration. All too often, our words and actions are superficial and ineffective because they do not come out as still. But if only they had their source in prayer, living in our prayer, then our words and actions could bear fruit in ways far beyond anything that we imagine possibly. And out of the still. Jesus' prayer is a prayer of stillness, a contemplative prayer, but it's a prayer that enables us to combine contemplation and action. It's a prayer that makes our contemplation active and our action contemplative. Next. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Athens and Jerusalem podcast. If you enjoyed the lecture, you can purchase uh, complete courses by Metropolitan Callistos online at theosisacademy.org. We look forward to next week when we will release another lecture from His Eminence. Until then, enjoy your weekend and God bless.